We're going to have so much fun. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. <laughs> so much fun. Let's do this. I love my job. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and incredible autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. For this episode, we decided to watch a spooky movie. The movie's called Play Dead. It centers around a medical student who fakes her death to sneak inside the coroner's office morgue. However, when she gets inside, she finds things are more sinister than she realized. This movie was a little bit longer than I think it needed to be. So It was so long. <laughs> this is going to be a special two-part episode. We're going to get into autopsy tools, black market organ trade, and so many other twists and crazy turns. So let's get into it. So we start out with our protagonist, Chloe Albright, coming home and opening her mailbox to a bunch of unpaid and overdue bills. She is a second-year medical student, and she makes a call about a foreclosure notice on her home, and she said her student loan got suspended and her dad's life insurance never got paid out because suicide isn't covered. We learn that the house is all that she and her brother have left, and it looks like they are about to get evicted because they can't afford the bills without their dad's life insurance. Chloe tries to call her brother TJ, but he ignores her call, but we cut to him in a car with a friend. They are putting on gloves and ski masks, and unless they're going skiing, that's, they're not up to any good. (laughs) And they're clearly not skiing, they're sitting in a parking lot. So the friend tells TJ to stay in the car because he's going to be the getaway driver. The friend also pulls out a gun and pretends to shoot TJ, only to reveal that it's a BB gun. The friend says that he's only doing this to get TJ the money that he needs. The friend then goes into a marijuana dispensary that they are parked outside of with the fake gun and his ski mask on. So TJ's waiting in the car and he hears a very real gunshot. And then his friend comes out quickly, clearly injured, yelling that they need to go. The car won't start and the owner of the dispensary comes out with a shotgun and shoots through one of the car windows, like the back window. TJ is able to get the car started and get away. But unfortunately, his friend isn't so lucky and gets left behind. So we cut back to Chloe at their house, and she hears a knock on the door. And it's TJ, and he comes inside, and he just gives his sister a hug. We then cut to them in the bathroom, and Chloe is treating an injury that TJ got on the back of his shoulder while trying to get away from the store owner with the shotgun. So it looks like the broken glass from the back window, like some of it got embedded in his back. It didn't look fun. TJ said that no one was supposed to get hurt, and he says that Ross, his friend, said that everything would be fine. We then find out that Chloe used to date Ross, and that they dated for three years, and she said that he was bad news, and that TJ should have stayed away from him. TJ then tells Chloe he thinks that Ross is dead, but that he is doing this for Chloe because he knows that they might get evicted, and that she's having trouble paying her tuition for med school. So we cut to the scene of the attempted robbery, and the police are there and it appears that Ross is dead. One officer, the sheriff, calls for the coroner and his, quote, meat wagon, gross, to get there ASAP. Who? I've never heard anybody call, I guess, like, the transport vehicle the meat wagon. Right? Is that what, is that what people call us? Are we just meat wagons? (laughs) Is that what, (laughs) is that what people say when we're not there? (laughs) Oh, it's the meat wagon? Is that what people say? Oh my god. Can someone write in? I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I mean, I am a vegetarian, but I know what they mean by meat wagon. I'm not. That was amazing. <laughs> I can't be associated with a meat wagon. 
The police also get a call for a car that's on fire that seems to be a match for the description of the getaway car that TJ drove off. Back at their house, Chloe is asking if anyone saw TJ or if he told anyone about the robbery plan with Ross. He didn't, and he says that the car was a stolen car and he ditched it and set it on fire. Chloe seems to think everything is fine and that nothing will get traced back to TJ, but then TJ remembers that Ross's phone is still on him and that they made their plans for the robbery over text. Chloe says that if TJ goes to jail, it breaks her promise to her mom, so they have to find a way out of this. And I guess we'll get a little more into this, but like she constantly talks about her mom and like how she couldn't save her mom and promises she made to her mom. But do we ever really find out what happened to their mom? We know what happened to their dad. There is no like detail or backstory brought up in like those like flashback scenes. Nothing about her mom. All we know is that her dad committed suicide. Maybe the mom's not in the picture anymore because of maybe the dad killing himself. I don't know. It, they make it seem like she died too, but they don't say how. Yeah. And we know the dad completed suicide. She says that, but the they just says she's like we we couldn't save mom and i made mom a promise and it seems like really intense about something that happened to their mom but we never find out what i know i wish i knew more and it wouldn't be a big deal if they didn't keep bringing it up like she brings it up a few times and i'm like okay what happened just tell us even if they showed like if she did die like oh like a little one of those like little memory cards oh yeah like the, that would give me more information the classic like flashback of like the the dead mom or dead wife in a movie where it's like a home video and she's like running on the beach or something. That's what I need. <laughs> like one of those. Just add one of those in there and I'd be satisfied. I'm just going to imagine that that's what happened. She also yeah. died. I'm assuming that's what happened. I just don't know how. Because it looks like they're living together. Like her and her brother are living together and they're having issues with money. Yeah, they can't afford the house because she's in school. I don't know if TJ has a job. But she says that they have to get the phone to save TJ and keep him out of jail. So Chloe says that the regional budget cuts have led to the coroner's office becoming a one-man shop and that the sheriff's office is overworked and understaffed. That could not be truer. I know. When, when she said overworked and understaffed, I was like, relatable. Girl, same. I can, at least where we work, our coroner's office could never be a, quote, one-man shop. Like, and I, I mean, they get into it later. I think they live in, like, a more not as populated area, so maybe. I was just gonna say, like, they only have one doctor, but I guess that makes sense if they're in a very small town. But he's also, he's, like, the only one that works at the coroner's office. There's no investigators. It's just him. So is he also the investigator? Like, he also has to go to the scene. Is he also the transporter? Is he everything? He's everyone. He's everything. He's everything. We're just Ken. <laughs> <laughs> That's also so unrealistic. The coroner's office is multiple, multiple people working. The coroner is a figurehead in a sense. And then yeah. there's pathologists, investigators, autopsy techs, office staff and like managers. Right. We have transporters. I know. I don't know how it works in some like very rural areas. Like if I don't know if they really just have like a coroner but I've never heard of that, or at least never experienced it. Anyway, so according to the news, about an hour before Ross was found dead, a girl was killed when her car hit a tree. So they know that there are two bodies in the morgue and one coroner, and she thinks that that will buy some time to get inside and find Ross's phone. TJ asks if the phone would be with the cops, and Chloe said that Ross and everything he had with him will be processed at the morgue first. 
Everything on him will be bagged, tagged, and locked in evidence room for the sheriff to claim in the morning, along with the coroner's autopsy report. That's, like, relatively true. Mm-hmm. There are certain things sometimes officers will take at the scene, but, like, usually if it's on their body, it stays on their body, and then, like, Jess and I are responsible for property collection and all that. I do know at some scenes, I guess depending on the scene, the officers will take the individual's phone yeah. before... It comes to us. I was wondering that. Like, I feel like in this instance, they would have taken the phone because it was a crime that occurred. Like, yeah, the person was committing an armed robbery or an alleged armed robbery. Yeah, because the police will go through their phone and figure out like, okay, what exactly happened? Who were you talking to? Yeah. But for the purposes of this movie, that wouldn't work. It wouldn't be as exciting trying to break into the corner into the sheriff's <laughs> office so they have to break it also the autopsy report takes so much longer than just one night of writing it and if he's the only guy <laughs> it would like, take even longer he's just the only person doing anything there i mean when they say autopsy report maybe because our office we have a cause of death form that we would give police officers and detectives right then and there and the autopsy report comes after once the pathologist has completed it which can take like a month or two maybe longer that's what i assumed i assumed it was like a preliminary like cause and manner but yeah they do say autopsy report so they be lying they be lying so they get to the coroner's office late at night and walk to the perimeter to look for a way in TJ goes looking for a way in, and Chloe rings the call box outside of the coroner's office as a distraction and says that she's a friend of the girl who was hit in the car accident, and she's just hoping that she can come inside to see her and say one last goodbye. What was her plan if he said yes? I guess to go find the phone then. How would she try to just like... Because then he knows someone's in there. That's true. And he would be—he would probably stay with her. He wouldn't just be like, all right. I'll let you be let here. Let wander around. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the way to see your friend, here's the evidence room. Yeah. But she probably knew he wouldn't say yes because she is not next of kin. So while TJ's looking around, he says that there's a guard dog and cameras everywhere and the whole place is locked down. So the only way in is through a body bag. Chloe says that might be able to be arranged. She asks if he can get Adderall from a vet tech that he knows, and he says that he can, so he calls this tech, and then they go to the vet clinic and get Adderall and Propofol, which Chloe says is a sterile, non-pyrogenic emulsion, which basically just means that it doesn't have any fever-causing substances, and the full name is disopropylphenol, and it's used in the induction and maintenance of sedation anesthesia, and it dramatically slows down someone's brain and nervous system. But I, I don't think it would slow down enough for that they she wouldn't be able to feel a pulse anymore. Yeah, because her plan is to inject it in herself and pretend to be dead. But I'm like, I feel like they'd still be able to feel a pulse. <laughs> like, she's like, they won't know. Like a very, very faint one. Yeah. Yeah. But at the very least, I feel like if EMS was called, they'd try to resuscitate her. Oh, absolutely. So her plan, like we said, she's wants to fake her death by injecting herself with propofol and says that after she's unconscious, TJ should wait 30 minutes before calling the police because she has to be cold when they find her or they'll try to resuscitate her. Maybe that's why they didn't try because she was cold already. But I, I feel like EMS protocol is to like do everything they can and work you and then they call it. Yeah, like I feel like even if she is cold to the touch because she's found outside... That could be just because 
she's outside. I don't know where they are. I know very little about what's happening. I don't know what time of year this was. <laughs> Other than that, it's a bad idea. <laughs> just here for a good time. Just watching the movie. <laughs> Taking my little notes. So she tells TJ to tell the police that he saw a girl OD in the underpass and that he thinks that she's dead. She also tells him to not give a name. He asks Chloe how she plans to get out of the morgue, and she says, let's just worry about getting me in first. Girl, I feel like you need to have an exit plan. I was going to say, which translates to, I haven't thought that far ahead yet. (laughs) Let's just go with it. TJ tries to convince Chloe to let him be the one to fake his death, but Chloe says that he has had too many run-ins with the local sheriff and that he'd be recognized. If this is a small town, doesn't everybody know everybody? Yeah, is Chloe just, like, never goes outside? (laughs) She just stays in their house. (laughs) I also feel like if he's had so many run-ins, wouldn't the people, like, the police know his family? I know. If he's had a lot of run-ins... I'm assuming his sisters had to come, like, bail him out of trouble, so. And then his dad, their dad died. I don't know. And I feel like a small town would make a big commotion about that. There would be so much, you're so right, and if their mother is also dead, there'd be so much drama around this family. Everybody would know who they are. (laughs) Coming from someone who lived in a small town growing up, yeah, everybody knew everyone and everything that was going on. Like, yeah. Chloe says that they won't remember her, then she injects herself in the shoulder. So this is what's called an intramuscular or IM injection. This is the kind of injection that you get when you get a vaccine or like a flu shot. However, from some brief research online, I saw that 100% propofol isn't effective when administered via intramuscular injection, and the paper that we read stated that it was presumably a result of poor systemic uptake of the hydrophobic drug. However, the paper I found was talking about rats, not humans. But still. Yeah, but still. The way propofol is administered when it's used for its intended purpose is via, like, IVs, intravenous or directly in the vein, like when you get blood work done. She didn't do it right. (laughs) She did not do it right. She's not on a winning streak right now. So she gives the syringe to TJ after and tells him to get out of there before she passes out. Then she wakes up naked and under a white sheet in a body cooler. So this is a red flag, I think. Why is she naked? Where did her clothes go? Also, where's her body bag? Because she's in the morgue and she hasn't had an exam done yet. Right? My old, I, like, I was thinking, I was like, does he just do like the external exam as soon as they come in? Which would involve like undressing them, looking at them. And then he just like shoves them back in the cooler. <laughs> like, I have no idea. I know. I know it's probably for movie purposes to make it more dramatic. Oh, yeah. That she's like naked under there and has to run around in a sheet for a little bit. But yeah, I was wondering that too. I was like, she's hasn't been autopsied yet why is she naked doesn't make sense but she sees her toe tag and it says jane doe she gets up and tries to get out but she can't open the door we see the coroner coming down the hall and she's running back on the table to play dead (gasps) it's the name of the movie oh my god (laughs) the coroner goes to each body there are four in this cooler including her and he checks everyone's toe tags He gets to Chloe's table and checks her toe tag, and then he goes to the table next to Chloe to wheel that body out. While he's kneeling down to unlock the table, he makes eye contact with Chloe, who just tries to do a dead blank stare, and it apparently works. I'll I'll tell you, my heart was racing at this point. I was like, oh my god, he's going to find her right away. I was like, they're staring at each other right now. 
there just making weird eye contact and she can't blink or tear up or anything so he leaves with the other body and chloe gets up quick to stop the door from shutting all the way and locking her in again so chloe goes out into the hall but goes into a different room than the coroner which turns out to be our classic dimly lit autopsy suite there is a body just lying on the table there in the middle of the room and just a huge puddle of blood on the floor that chloe of course steps in barefoot she turns on one of those surgical lights, green flag here, because we have very similar ones in armor that our docs use, because, you know, we love good lighting when we're using sharp instruments to do our job. <laughs> I like to see what I'm doing. I don't know about you. I like to see <laughs> what I'm cutting with my scalpel. <laughs> and she looks at the body on the table, and it is apparently the girl who had died the night before in the car accident. And we'll give another green flag here because her injuries actually looked pretty realistic, particularly the broken bones poking out of her, like, forearm. Like, I was like, ooh, I've seen injuries that look like that. That, ooh, I've, ooh. I've seen that. It always makes me cringe every time I see them, too. Yeah. I always hate when sometimes you have to, like, move their arms or legs when you're taking off their clothes and you, like, you move the arm or leg a certain way and you're like, oh, you're not supposed to bend that way. Oh, no. <laughs> or you hear a bunch of, like, bones crackling. Oh, the, the like, grinding of, like, the broken bones. Ew. Mm -mm. Nope. Never fun. Chloe stares at the body for a minute and then looks at one of the shelves in the room and finds some scrubs that she can put on because she's been naked this entire time, like we said earlier. Just running around the morgue naked. She has a sheet wrapped around her. She's not just, like, streaking in the morgue. <laughs> she's... <laughs> just want to preface that. She's not full-on streaking. She has, like... She's doing a little toga move with the with the sheet and <laughs> running around like that. Like the classic girls do in rom-coms when they've had a one-night stand and they get up to leave in the morning and they wrap themselves in a bed sheet. Why do they always do that? I would never. So she leaves wearing her scrubs and finds the evidence room. She peeks in the window and sees that the coroner is in there. When he makes his way out, she runs off back into the autopsy suite and turns off the light that she had just left on. The coroner hears a noise and walks into this autopsy room, but Chloe is able to hide just in time. Then the coroner hears the buzzer going off to the front to like the call box, like someone's at the front door, and he leaves to go to the security room. And Chloe follows him. He lets in a car that was ringing the bell, and then he goes out to let a man in the building. And the guy coming in has a lot of like death jokes. I feel like this happens to me sometimes. When people come to pick something up or drop something off, they'll just make weird jokes. Someone one time was, I think recently, was like, hey, people are dying to get in here, huh? And I'm like, ha, <laughs> never heard that one. What a classic. So original. I do love corny jokes, though, but I, I thought it was funny that this one guy just comes in cracking all these death jokes. And this coroner, by the way, has not said a single word yet in this whole movie, and it's just very deadpan. So the coroner isn't amused and just hands the man a white cooler. The man says, every time you hand me one of these, I feel like we're going to the beach. Don't you wish there was a six-pack in here? Also, just a quick side note. There is a display of one of my favorite paintings behind them in this scene. It's called The Agnew Clinic by Thomas Eakins. I've seen the real, like the original of this painting. It's at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And it's next to, in the museum, it's next to or across from my actual favorite painting called The Gross Clinic, also by Thomas Eakins, which I have a poster of in my cubicle. I'm not a psychopath like this coroner is that we're about to find out, though. I just also enjoy Thomas Eakins' paintings because they're usually all, like, 
Victorian era medicine surgical paintings and they're very cool which is our favorite era it's the most chaotic era (laughs) the reason I love the gross clinic is nobody's wearing gloves (laughs) they're all just like covered in blood nobody's wearing gloves fully just like in a man's leg and I also just love that that his name is gross so it's called the gross clinic (laughs) he's just not wearing gloves covered in blood He also didn't believe in germ theory for the longest time. He was like one of the last doctors to come around to the fact that you needed to wash your hands. And I was like, it just tracks so easily that your name is gross. (laughs) Anyway, back in the movie, it sure seems like this coroner is giving this guy organs for the black market. The guy even says he might be back tonight if the coroner can find a liver that someone has been asking about. The coroner goes back to work and Chloe goes back to wandering around the morgue. She finds an autopsy room, which the entrance to this one looked weird. It was like a cooler door. I noticed that too. So it was like, is it cold? Like, does he keep the autopsy suite cold? I don't know. And she walks in to find Ross's body. She sees all the classic autopsy tools around, bone saw, scalpel and all. But what I thought was weird is that there was an IV drip and heart rate monitor set up and attached to the body which you don't see in the morgue because everybody's dead and they don't need IVs and heart rate monitors. She uncovers Ross's face and has an emotional reaction, obviously, because she dated this man for three years. And she uncovers the rest of the body and sees a small incision in his right side that has been stapled shut. She backs up and trips and gets startled and yells out, which wakes Ross up. So now the IV drip and heart rate monitor makes sense because Ross is alive. So he was taken by this corrupt coroner to have his organs sold on the black market. And yeah, this is psychotic. Chloe says that Ross should be in a hospital and asks who did this to him and asks if it was the guy with the keys, aka the coroner, who has just like a bunch of keys on his belt. Ross nods and asks what Chloe is doing there. She tells him she has to get his phone so that TJ doesn't go to jail because they planned their whole robbery on iPhones. And Ross tells her that it isn't safe there. Chloe says she's going to get into the evidence room to get Ross's phone, and then she's going to get Ross and get them out of there. We cut to the coroner in another autopsy suite, preparing to start an exam on another body. He takes off his wedding ring, his watch, and he unhooks his keys from his belt and puts them aside on a table. He puts on his face shield and surgical gown over his very nice outfit. So we do love PPE, but... I'm calling a little bit of a red flag here just for his wardrobe choice because I feel like these shows and movies combine funeral directors and coroners because he's wearing like a nice shirt, a tie, and a vest. So like almost like a three-piece suit looking type thing just without the jacket. And it's definitely giving more of a funeral director look, but I don't know. He's like a one-man coroner. Maybe he's also the funeral director in the town. He does it all. He does it all. He's everything. Chloe leaves the room she found Ross in and hears a bone saw starting in the distance and follows it to the room that the coroner is in. This shot, it was kind of hard to tell, but it looks like the coroner is cutting the ribs with the bone saw. So he's already done his Y incision and he's cutting the ribs to get the chest plate off, which I, you can do with a bone saw. We typically do them with our clippers, but I've seen it done with a bone saw too. Chloe looks in and sees the keys that the coroner had taken off of his belt. So she sneaks in behind the coroner to get closer to where he left his keys. The saw is loud enough that the coroner doesn't notice Chloe right away. And after he he removes the chest plate, he keeps cutting something. And I have no idea what he's cutting. So I kind of want to call a red flag because once you take the chest plate off, there's nothing else to bone saw. So what? (laughs) It's a bone saw. Like he got the bone off. And 
it won't cut soft tissue. We get into that later, but like it doesn't cut soft tissue. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, we don't even use the bone saw to cut the chest plate off. We just use clippers. Yeah. Because it's honestly easier and there's less aerosolized bone dust. Yeah. But I, I just don't know what he was cutting. So with the bone saw, Chloe's able to sneak in and grab the keys unnoticed. The coroner gets a call in his cell, and he takes his gloves off to answer it. He doesn't say anything, and hasn't said anything this entire movie still. This is like 30 minutes in, and this man hasn't spoken at all. But the man on the phone says that they got an order for LA, and someone will be there in an hour to pick up the organ. Chloe goes back and wakes Ross up and gets him off the table to get him out. They both sneak out of the autopsy room, and Ross is having a hard time moving. The coroner has finished the autopsy he was working on and goes to grab his keys and notices that they aren't there. Chloe and Ross go to the back exit and Chloe fumbles with the keys trying to get the right one to unlock the door. The coroner is going room to room looking for his lost keys and he goes into the room where the girl's body from the car accident is and he notices that a set of scrubs are missing and he also notices the sheet that Chloe was using to cover herself is in the trash. So he rushes to the cooler and sees that one body is missing. Chloe and Ross eventually unlock the first door to the exit and have to unlock one more to get out. The coroner tries to go to the security room to look at the camera to see who is in the morgue and has to kick his way in. He sees Chloe and Ross trying to escape, and Chloe tells Ross that when she opens the door, Ross has to run, but that she isn't going with him. She still needs to get to the evidence room to get the phone. They almost unlock the door, which is electronic, but the coroner cuts the power using the fuse box in the security room, which blocks them from getting out. He knows where they are, and he's coming for them. Chloe's still able to unlock the door, but Ross collapses and is unable to get up. The coroner walks in wearing a gas mask and sprays some kind of gas in the room and knocks both Chloe and Ross out, and she wakes up and sees Ross back on the autopsy slash operating table. And she's strapped into a chair type table thing. It's like a gurney. Yeah. But it, he has it like sat up. So she's sitting up looking at him. The coroner says that Ross can't hear Chloe and she begs to let them go. And he says, where would you go? Back into your rat infested apartment or your tent city or your life of crime? And he's making very bold assumptions about people experiencing homelessness. And he's also mistaking Chloe for being homeless herself because she faked her death under an underpass. He's jumping to a lot of conclusions. Yeah, he's, he's being very judgy. I mean, we already know he's a terrible person, but... Which is, like, something you shouldn't do as a coroner. Like, you shouldn't judge somebody or make assumptions. Right, but he's red flag coroner. He's just a walking red flag. I don't like this I don't man. Him. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to say it. I know it's a very strong opinion. I don't think this guy is a good guy. <laughs> I think what made you say that <laughs> I don't know I'm getting a bad feeling and I'm not afraid to say it <laughs> he just gives me bad vibes I'm getting a bad vibe from him so he asks why Chloe's there trying to claim something that doesn't belong to her he says that she cuts corners and takes shortcuts and that she keeps trying to tell him that that isn't who she is he says that all people are the same and that their entire being is worth considerably less than the sum of their parts meaning that he likes to sell less fortunate people's organs, and she tells him that she's studying forensic medicine. Girl, same. I, I also loved that this movie had, like, the main character as somebody studying forensic medicine and pathology, because I feel like that's not something you see all the time when there's, like, medicine involved. It's, like, every other specialty besides pathology. Yeah. I I loved that, too, because a lot of the shows we watch, like, I think Body of Proof is one of them that does this, 
the main character isn't someone who always wanted to be in forensics. It's like she was like a surgeon and something happened to her. So she had to, quote, settle to be like a forensic pathologist. And it's like, okay, it's not settling. It is a very hard job. And you have to be just as much of a doctor to do it as you have to be a surgeon. Like, But they always make it seem like they st- – oh, I dropped my laptop. They always make it seem like they have to like stumble into being forensics. We never really see someone who's been passionate about it their whole life. Yeah. But anyway, he perks up at this and says that it's an underappreciated field. Hell yeah, it is. Hell yeah. He says that each person has over a million dollars worth of organs inside them, and he says that even her skin has a price. He says she should have thought better before breaking into this sacred place, and she says she didn't have a choice. If it's so sacred, why isn't he mopping up the blood off of the floor that she stepped in? That's a biohazard. Just saying. If you think it's sacred, clean up a little bit, dude. The coroner says that you always have a choice, just like Ross had a choice not to rob the store. The coroner argues that he deserves to have his organs harvested for this reason. What the fuck, dude? I know. What? He says that his organs can be used to save someone more worthy and of value. Chloe says that she knows life isn't fair and tells him that her dad's death was ruled a suicide even though she knows it wasn't. Her dad experienced PTSD and psychosis and was medicated for it, but the insurance cut off his medications. The coroner puts together that Chloe didn't get any life insurance because the death was ruled a suicide, and he says it's a sad tale, but a common one. Chloe says that she got into forensics to help people find the truth, and the coroner says that the truth is what he says it is, and that her father did the world a favor by ending his life. What? A jerk. Again, I hate this man. See? I knew he was a bad guy. Chloe says that he's a sick man, and he says, I'm not sick, I'm the cure. And then he cuts into the abdomen of Ross while he's still alive, and shoves his hands inside him. So yeah, that happens, and he just digs around, Chloe's screaming throughout all of this, understandably, and he just like shoves his hand in his abdomen, digging around, with his gloves like not really fully on, like... When we wear our PPE, we have our surgical gowns and they have like little thumb holes for us. And like we'll have one pair of gloves. We put on the thumb hole of our surgical gown and then we'll put other gloves on top of that. So like our wrist is not Mm -hmm. exposed. Our arm is not exposed. There is nothing is getting blood on it. This guy doesn't have that. He just has like the surgical gown cuff, his bare wrist and some glove. And he's just fully in this living man's abdomen it was so gross so you know what red flag for improper ppe and just because you're a jerk my dude (laughs) so (laughs) he cuts out ross's liver very quickly but i mean i know he is a doctor i guess he like scooped it out he didn't use any tools he just scooped i was okay i was thinking that too he did the cut with his scalpel and scissors and then scoop you have to cut it away from the diaphragm like there, yeah. there's no. It is attached to things. It's 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 stuck to things. Your organs aren't just free floating in there, people. Contrary to popular belief. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, your organs aren't just floating around. So yeah, I also didn't think it looked very liver-like, but we only saw it for like a quick second. And obviously, once his liver has been yanked out, Ross dies, which is very sad. The coroner tells Chloe that the coroner's office used to be the largest hospital in the county, and now it's just him. And he doesn't like uninvited guests. He puts Ross's liver in a cooler, and then the coroner's phone rings, and he stuffs his glove, or stuffs, not his dirty, actually, it might have been his dirty gloves. Was it his dirty gloves? He stuffs gloves into Chloe's mouth so that she can't talk or make any noise, and he holds a scalpel to her throat and tells her not to say a word. 
He then answers a FaceTime call, and it's his daughter asking if he's coming home tonight. He says, not tonight. Daddy's working. I just, okay. I don't know if it's just because I don't like this dude. I thought that was weird to say because his daughter is like a mid to late teenager. It's not like he's talking to a little kid where you would say like, oh, sorry, daddy's working. He's talking to like 16-year-old, maybe 16 to 18-year-old girl, like daddy's working. And I'm like, I cringed a little bit, but I'm like, I don't know your relationship with her, but I also just don't like you because you're a bad guy. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm just not going to like anything I'm you not going to like anything you do or say. But he does say that he'll see her for breakfast. After hanging up, he takes the gloves out of Chloe's mouth, and the coroner says that Ross's death and eventually Chloe's will help someone who is willing to make any sacrifices for their dreams. And he says thanks to him, their trivial existences will now have meaning. He says he will give her life worth piece by piece by piece. And he says it like that. And I'm like, when you say it like that, how do you not hear it yourself that you sound insane? <laughs> like I So stupid. <laughs> I just got uncomfortable saying it now. <laughs> sound like a madman. Uh, right? He hooks his keys back on his belt and takes Ross's liver in the cooler out of the room, leaving Chloe strapped to the gurney. Chloe sees that he left his tools on a table next to Ross, his bone saw, and his scalpel. So she's able to unhook her feet from the restraints. She's able to like wiggle free. And she uses her feet to push her table, which is on wheels, over next to the table with the tools on them. She grabs the scalpel with her left hand and tries to cut the same restraint. So she's kind of like stabbing it towards herself with her with her one hand. Super awkwardly too. Yeah, it's a really awkward position. So it doesn't work. She ends up actually stabbing herself with the scalpel and dropping it. And meanwhile, the coroner is in the other autopsy suite doing an actual autopsy, you know, not murdering living people for their organs. And he's starting the exam of the girl who died in the car crash. And he's starting by removing her jewelry and setting it aside. So I guess we'll give a green flag because we do the same thing. I just don't want to give him a green flag. But if you come into our morgue with any personal property or jewelry, it will be removed during the external exam, photographed, bagged as evidence. And then it gets released to the funeral home when someone comes to pick the body up. So back to Chloe, she grabs the bone saw now on the table and turns it on, which obviously makes a lot of noise. But luckily, the coroner is busy in the other room rinsing the body with a rinse hose that is also making noise. He is working on what looks like a real autopsy table, which comes with like a hose attached to it for rinsing and cleaning the body. In the other room, Chloe is able to cut her restraint with the bone saw. So, like we mentioned earlier, fun fact, the bone saw we use will cut through bone without harming soft tissue, and we actually have to cut away muscle before we use the bone saw to use it effectively. So, like, when we're cutting away the skull cap, we have to cut away the muscles on, like, the side of your head, like, in your temples. It's called your temporalis muscle. It's one of the muscles you use to chew. And we have to cut it out of the way so that we can effectively cut through the side of someone's head. Otherwise, like, the bone saw doesn't cut very well through soft tissue. Even if you're using it to cut the, the breastplate, like we score lines basically with our scalpel, which makes cuts through the muscle on your chest, which then helps the bone saw cut. Yeah. So I'm not sure if the bone saw would actually cut through this type of like cloth, like Velcro-y material. I don't know what it was that her restraint is made of. I, I didn't know enough about what it can cut through to call it a red flag, but I just wanted to make a note of it that the bone saw doesn't cut through everything. I feel like every everybody thinks it cuts through everything. But I will note they did, when she does cut through her restraint, which, side note, it does work. She cuts through her restraint with the bone saw. It does, like, hit her arm, but it doesn't wound her arm. 
So I thought that was good, unless that was just something they forgot. We used to do an experiment at work and test if it, this cuts through straps. I thought you were going to say trying to cut our arm <laughs> on. I'm like, no, we no. shouldn't. Jess. I know please. we had a long day, but God. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, Jess, are you okay? <laughs> we shouldn't. <laughs> now I'm just picturing we're in the back and everybody's like, what's taking them so long? And I'm like. I'm strapped to a gurney, and you're like, all right, now try to get the bones <laughs> We're going to recreate this scene and tell you guys. We're going to be like Mythbusters. You're going to be in the other room turning on the rinse hose, and you're going to be like, all right, I'm going to see if I can hear the bones off from here. I'd be like, yeah, I can clearly hear it because water isn't that loud. <laughs> the sink isn't that loud. I can definitely still hear the saw. Did you get through yet? And I'm still just like strapped. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't worry, guys. We're not going to do that. And you don't try this at home, also. Just, just just, a blanket. If you own a bone saw. Don't, don't buy a bone saw and try this at home. She does get her hand free, and she uses her free hand now to unclasp her other restraint, and she escapes the room just before the coroner comes in. The coroner starts looking for Chloe around the room after grabbing a regular saw. It was one of those antique bone saws that they used to use back in the day. Yes, it was interesting looking but i don't know if it would be an effective weapon but he grabs it so this scene was actually shot very cool we see like in between cuts of him walking around the room and like stabbing at different things to see where she is she's we see she's hiding somewhere but we don't know where either we just see like her face and like something metal in front of her and it looks like a door so you think she's like in a closet or something and there's a scene where he cuts like he stabs into the closet and then we see a drop of blood drip on Chloe's face and you think oh my god did he get her but he didn't the closet's empty and you're like oh my god where is she so the coroner leaves the room and we see the reveal that Chloe has been hiding under the operating table where Ross was holding herself up off of the floor so that the coroner couldn't see her so she has crazy grip strength and the blood that dripped on her was Ross's blood After the coroner leaves, Chloe gets out from under the table and looks at Ross. She holds his hand, and it's like a very tender, emotional moment. And then she sees a canister of liquid nitrogen on the table in the room. She grabs it and goes to the evidence room and uses it to freeze the lock. After it's frozen, she smashes it with the canister and walks in. She takes her toe tag out of her pocket and looks at her case number. Very smart that she kept her toe tag to see her case number because I wouldn't have thought of that. That would be the last thing I thought of. I Well, I wouldn't be here to begin with, hopefully. And she walks over to the evidence bin that would be the case number before her, which would have been Ross's. So she takes that box off of the shelf and goes through it and sees the BB gun that Ross had on him for the robbery. She doesn't know it's a BB gun, though. As she's going through, she sees the coroner walk in, but he's not wearing shoes so that he doesn't make any sound, and she quickly hides. After he walks in, the coroner sees Ross has been on the floor, and Chloe goes to hide behind a shelf and takes Ross's gun with her. The coroner goes through Ross's box of evidence and finds the phone. Chloe jumps out from behind the shelf and points the gun at him and demands that he hand over the phone. The coroner asks why she wants some dead loser's phone, And he says that as a student of forensic science, she should know a little bit more about protocol and procedure and that they would never leave a live firearm unattended, which is true. We wouldn't just have that laying around in our evidence room. That would be in a a locked safe or like we have lockers for like weapons, but usually we don't get weapons. Usually that goes with police. So the gun that Chloe has is either unloaded or a fake. 
the coroner gets up and walks towards Chloe, who decides to just, you know what, pull the trigger anyway and see what happens. And the BB hits the coroner right in the eye. He starts bleeding. And she tries to grab the phone while he's distracted, but is unable to get it. So she just runs into the hall to get away. She walks into a hall or a room that, like, they never address this later, but it's just so creepy. It has, like, peeling wallpaper that's clearly, like, supposed to be for, like, a child's room on the wall. And there's, like, a stuffed bunny hanging on the door. Well, this was an old hospital. I wonder if that was, like, a a pediatric room. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, it had to be, like, the pediatric unit. But they never address it. Because she even pauses and looks around and is like this is creepy like she looks she doesn't say that out loud but she's like what the fuck and i thought it was gonna like come back but nope it just doesn't so the coroner goes back to the room where ross is and tries to use ross's face to unlock the phone he can't at first until he opens ross's eyes once he unlocks the phone he scrolls through the messages and meanwhile chloe has found herself down in the basement definitely not where you want to be but she's here so we're gonna deal with it this is where she's found herself this is where she's found herself right now in the movie so there's this weird purple lighting and bodies on tables behind sheets and like bays basically and there's tools at each station too and chloe hears a man groan from behind one of the curtains and she goes to take a look and this man is hooked up to an iv and heart monitor similar to ross's upstairs he has patches of skin missing and one of his eyes is stapled shut He has several other stapled wounds on his thorax and abdomen, indicating that the coroner has kept him alive in order to harvest his organs. The man opens his one eye and begs Chloe to help him. Chloe backs up, knocking over the table of tools, which then wakes up all of the other patients and victims in the basement, who all begin to wail for help. Then Chloe hears the coroner's voice over the PA system. The coroner's in the security room and tells her that he looked through Ross's phone and figured out that TJ is her brother. He says, in literature, TJ would be a irredeemable character. He says TJ tarnishes the environment for worthy and law-abiding citizens like himself. Sir, you sell people's organs on the black market and you murder them. This is not law-abiding in any way. I laughed out loud. When he said that, he's like, law-abiding citizens, like myself. I'm like, you're literally hunting a girl for sport right now, and you just took the liver out of her ex-boyfriend in front of her. You're not law-abiding by any means. <laughs> this is like every villain in every story. They always think they're above everybody and that they're the greatest thing, and they're really not. Yeah. The law doesn't apply to him. He tells Chloe that TJ would only live for six months in prison. Chloe's still walking around and walks through another door and sees a door labeled coroner's office. She tries to get in, but it's locked, and the coroner over the PA system tells her that she's one step away from Ross's fate. And Chloe flips off the security camera in response. Then she grabs a fire extinguisher off the wall and uses it to break the doorknob and get into the office. Meanwhile, in the security room, the coroner has one of his dogs sniff the sheet that Chloe was under in the cooler when she was first brought in to get her scent and to hunt her down. In the coroner's office, Chloe sees family photos and sees that the coroner has a wife, son, and daughter. She uses the phone on the coroner's desk to call TJ, and she tells TJ that she is still inside, and that she tells him that the coroner is hurting people. She says that she's sorry for failing him and that she tried really hard to get Ross's phone. TJ asks if she's in danger, and Chloe says not to worry about her. She tells TJ to get out of the state. I just, I love this, because, like, I 
I am like besties with my siblings. And if either one of them called me in a, in a dire situation and was like, don't worry about me. Get yourself out of here. I'm like, no, what do you mean? I'm coming to help you. Like, this is, you're being weird. Stop being weird. Like, <laughs> Don't be weird. Don't be weird. I'm coming to get you. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> so she tells CJ to get out of the state. And when TJ tries to fight back, she says that she couldn't save their mom or help their dad. Again, with this mother, I don't know what happened to her. What happened to the mom? Give the mom a backstory. (laughs) But she won't be the one to lose TJ too. But TJ says that he won't leave Chloe, just like Alice wouldn't leave her siblings. (laughs) I, yeah, it just makes sense. It's the sibling code. Just then, the phone cuts out. The coroner walks in and says that he cut the line and that he has a dog with him. He says not to worry about the dog and that he's a good boy. He's trained to maim and detain, not kill. He then blows a dog whistle and the dog lunges at Chloe. Chloe runs and grabs a ceramic skull from the coroner's desk and hits the dog with it, and is able to run out of the office, closing the door behind her. Meanwhile, we see TJ call the sheriff's office, and the coroner blows the dog whistle again and points into the hallway where he hears Chloe running, and then the dog runs after her. Outside of the morgue, we see the police pull up to TJ in his car, and TJ gets out and the sheriff approaches. TJ says he'll confess if the sheriff saves his sister. So then, back in the office, we see Chloe try to make an escape out the back exit, but the door is locked, so she hides behind a shelf. The dog is able to find her, and Chloe sees the cooler that has Ross's liver on the table. She grabs it and hits the dog with it, and the liver falls out. So she takes the liver out of the plastic bag it was in and throws it to distract the dog, who then runs after it. She's able to make her way out into another room and shut the door behind her. And then outside, we see the sheriff pull up to the call box outside the morgue and enter a code to be let in. Inside, Chloe runs into the security room and is able to see the sheriff pull up with TJ in the back seat. Chloe's able to unlock the doors from inside the security room and runs to get outside. She runs right into the sheriff and her brother. Chloe tells the sheriff that the coroner is keeping people alive and selling their organs and that he's killed a lot of people. The sheriff doesn't seem to believe her, and then Chloe says that he murdered someone right in front of her. The sheriff says that he never liked this coroner and that the old-timer before him was easy, but this one is a pretentious nightmare. And the sheriff says that if he's really a psycho, he's looking forward to being the swift boot of justice up his ass. (laughs) That line was just so dramatic. The sheriff tells TJ and Chloe to stay where they are and that he'll figure out what's going on. Chloe tells him to be careful and turns around to see TJ. And as she turns around, the sheriff pulls out his baton and hits Chloe in the back of the head with it. Dun dun dun! dun, dun. I, at this exact moment, I paused to take, like, notes. And I I paused it when he said he was going to go figure out what's going on. And I went down and I typed my notes. And then I look up. And my screen is paused on the exact frame where Chloe's like turned around and you see like the psycho sheriff like behind her with the baton. And I'm like, oh my God, he's a bad guy. This whole time I was like, why is he not making a bigger deal of this girl inside the morgue screaming that he's like this coroner's corrupt and blah, blah, blah. I was like, why aren't you making a bigger deal? I knew it couldn't be that easy of a solution because there was still half an hour left of this movie (laughs) and i'm like there's okay i was i thought something was going to happen to the corner or to the sheriff i thought he was going to get got 
and have his organs taken or something. Yeah. I didn't expect him to be in on it. That was a cool twist. Not for Chloe. It's not cool for Chloe. No, very not cool for Chloe or TJ. Very not cool. So this is where we're going to leave this part one for Play Dead. And you'll have to tune in next week to hear... Hear the rest of the movie. See how it ends, unless you want to watch the movie on your own on Amazon Prime. But also to hear our crazy true crime that relates back to this episode. Or this movie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. And we'll catch you next week for part two. Bye! (laughs)